My name is Eric True. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Bill and Maria, I think they're around. They're just uh, <clears throat> on occasion. We get a chance to share with you, and we're just moving right through Mark, so we'll be, we'll be doing that as well uh, this morning. Um, also, just a little uh, disclosure. If you guys see flashes while I'm speaking, um, my mom's here today. Okay, and uh, yeah, who I, oh yeah, <clears throat> but seriously, I love my mom, but like I'll be, you know, I'm preaching and there's flashes like I'm Brad Pitt or something, you know, and just know that I don't have a, an ego problem or something, but anyway, uh, I want us to look at a very special day in the life of Jesus today where two really important things took place. And the disciples were witness to these. First of all, Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Or two fish. What's the right way to say that? Two fishies? Let's call them fishies. And second, Jesus walked on water. And before we're going to look at Mark's version, again, we're just moving through Mark here at Bethel. Before we uh, look into Mark's version of the feeding of the 5,000, we need to first look at what happened afterwards, after the feeding, when Jesus walked on the water in the midst of a storm. Uh, These two miracles are completely interconnected. And Jordan, in fact, our youth pastor, is going to next week expand on uh, the story of Jesus walking on the water. Um. So basically, just in a nutshell, in Mark 6.45, the disciples, they take a boat and they're going to cross over the sea and Jesus was going to meet them there. But when they're out in the lake, this huge storm, torrential storm threatens to capsize the boat and the the disciples are scared out of their minds, needless to say, and they, they begin to panic under the wind and the raging waves. Uh, But Mark tells us that something had happened earlier that afternoon that should have given them faith during the storm. This is awesome. It literally says, okay, again, they're out, they're rocking the waves. Earlier, Jesus fed the 5,000. And the Bible says, as they're freaking out, it says they considered not the miracle of the loaves. In other words, the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000 didn't register while they're freaking out on the ship. Okay? So in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus was actually teaching them something that would be a reminder of his power in the midst of life storms. Anybody here deal with life storms ever? Oh, it's just me, really. Anybody here deal with some storms? So this miracle wasn't for show. Jesus was teaching them, and they were, be, they were begin, giving a, uh, getting a lesson in, we'll call it, God's higher school of learning. Reminds me of an English teacher. She had a class. They were studying well-known proverbs. And one day, she gave them a test to see how well they were understanding uh, her teaching. And so she would state the first half of a proverb, and then she'd ask the students to come up with the rest of 
the proverb. These are some of the uh, brilliant answers that the teacher got from her students on the quiz. So it started out, it's always darkest before what? What's the actual proverb? It's always darkest before dawn. This kid said it's always darkest before daylight savings time. Mm -hmm. Never Never underestimate the power of dreams. This kid said never underestimate the power of termites. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. This kid says, don't bite the hand that looks dirty. (laughs) If you lie down with dogs, you'll... What? You'll wake up with fleas. This person just said, if you lie down with dogs, you'll you'll stink in the morning. (laughs) An idle mind is the devil's workshop. (laughs) Here's a smart kid. An idle mind is... The best way to relax. I don't know. <laughs> a penny saved is a penny earned. This guy said a penny saved is not much. I don't know. <laughs> so even though these students in the class, right, they studied these parables for several days, but they still had trouble getting the right answers on the Proverbs. Jesus had been with the disciples for several months, and they still had trouble getting it right. Remember, they've been hanging out with Jesus. In Matthew, he healed a leper. That's pretty cool. He healed a servant of a Roman centurion. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He'd also healed numerous people and cast out demons. In fact, he raised a girl from the dead. They'd seen it all up close and personal, but they missed the main point of the feeding of the 5,000. And so Jordan and I, we're calling this part one, part two of, we're calling it Teachable Moments. Thank you, Jordan, for the cool slide. That's his work, not mine. Pretty cool. Thank you, Jordan, for the cool slide. Yeah. Teachable Moments. Learning the lessons behind the miracle. As we unpack these lessons today, uh, note to self, if it was important for the disciples to learn them, would you agree that it's equally as important for us to understand the lessons behind these? Because frankly, when you and I face life storms, we're going to need these teachable moments to get us through, to sustain our faith. Now, real quickly, let's talk about some background. The feeding of the 5,000 is interesting. The feeding of the 5,000, did you know it's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels? Which is pretty amazing if you think about it. Of the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, he did a lot of really cool things. This is the one that makes it into all four Gospels. And it occurred during the, uh, the Passover season about a year before Jesus died. Now, at the time, several things had happened. Remember, Jesus was just, and Bill just talked about this, Jesus was rejected in his own hometown. Remember that? In fact, he had to flee because he was going to get pushed off a cliff. His disciples had just returned from a mission 
trip that he had sent them on. And so he's looking forward to hanging out with them. And then word just came that John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner, uh, had, just been, had just been beheaded in a cover-up scheme by King Herod. And uh, if you didn't know, Jesus, or, or John the Baptist, rather, was not only Jesus' close friend, but he was also his cousin. His own flesh and blood had just been beheaded. And so some, some people might say, well, Jesus was fleeing for his life, but he wasn't. He wasn't afraid of Herod. He knew his time hadn't come yet. Jesus needed time to get away. He needed time to get alone, to pray, to rest, to hang out with the disciples, hear, hear their report from the mission field. In fact, the disciples themselves needed their batteries recharged. And so that's the setting. If you have your Bible this morning, open it quickly to Mark chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 30. Go through 44. If you don't have a Bible, there's some right there in front of you, so no excuses. All right? And here's what it says. Verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And get some rest. And so they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching many things Okay, so Jesus and the disciples, they hop in a boat, they cross the Sea of Galilee to a deserted place to be alone. But, needless to say, Jesus drew a crowd. Most people that followed Jesus, by the way, I don't know if they were really in touch with him being a savior. All they knew is they really liked the miracles. And not only... Uh, did they like the miracles? But if you can imagine Jesus' existence when he was in a crowd, I can just imagine it was people grabbing at him. People sick and needy and crying out in sorrow and pain. And, and they're trying to get a piece of Jesus. That's what it was like when he's in this crowd. Everybody wanted something from him. And frankly, he had been giving to everybody who came. You might expect that he would be exasperated. But instead, the Bible says, get this, when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd again, he had compassion on them. If it were me, probably would have been pretty annoyed. I probably would have been irritated. But Jesus put his his desires aside to minister to those around him. He wasn't self-centered. He was compelled by the needs of others. Sounds like a simple concept, but frankly, I think it's pretty appropriate. And by the way, there weren't even people he knew personally. And yet he was compelled to meet their needs. First lesson, first teachable moment, compassion for others. Evan, put that one up. Boom. Nope. Go back one. Did we already do it? Back, back. Huh. That's weird. 
Talk amongst yourselves. I just want to check something out. Hmm, that's weird. Maybe I mixed it up. Is there one that says compassion for others? No. So ignore that completely. Compassion for others should come before my desires. Did you get that? Compassion for others should come before our desires. Even if we're exhausted. Bill Hybels of, uh, of Willow Creek, mega church in Chicago. I've been there. It's awesome. He's an awesome man. Oh, listen to this. This is good. He said, I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hand, a hand never dirtied by serving and shake the nail-pierced hand of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? The next time you see a beggar, I drove in this morning, by the way, came in early, right outside our garage, and I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, there was a guy in a wheelchair hunched over, his head up against our church building. Um, the next time you see a beggar or a drunk or a drug addict or somebody clawing at you for something, which happens a lot in this city, uh, Check the pulse of your heart. Sometimes I get it right and sometimes I get it wrong. Check the pulse of your heart. Is your natural response like get a job, get a life, go find a shelter? Or is it, I don't know, do you just hurt? Uh, I bet Jesus would hurt. He did. Um, Or how about this? The next time you... uh, somebody's in need. It could be a friend. It could be somebody you don't really know personally, but you know somebody's in need. They need somebody. Um, I just want to submit to you, just show up. Just go. Again, I've gotten it right sometimes, and I've completely failed. And even if you're really busy, err on the side of what would Christ do. Look at what he did here. So Jesus ministers all day. It's evening. He's hungry. And he knows the entire crowd is hungry. Many of these people, by the way, live near the edge of starvation, this massive crowd. It's just the way it was. The disciples understand this. And so here's what it says in verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. You can put this passage up, Evan. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. (laughs) Jesus said, you give them something to eat. I love that. And they said to him, "Uh, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So the disciples basically say, Lord, I don't know if you're really aware of this, uh, but we've got a problem here. It's late. The people are hungry. We need to call this meeting and send them out so they can get something to eat. And I love it. In John, same account in John 6, 5, uh, it says that Jesus took the weary multitude and he turns to Philip. Check it out. So Jesus turns to Philip and he says, 
What are we going to do? Philip, where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? Isn't that awesome? Now, Philip was the logical one. He's actually from this area, so he would have known where people should go, you know, where the closest, uh, whatever, Taco Bell was. He would have known. And he's also the logical one. Do you think that Jesus might be trying to get the right answer out of Philip? He was asking him to test him to see whether he would remember. Philip takes out, you know, Philip, t- it's what it says, he, take, well, he takes out his iPhone calculator, whatever, and he's all, well, Lord, according to my calculations, as I did the math, uh, it's 5,000 people, $4 a head. I don't know, this, we just don't have enough money. And that was true. In fact, we call it the feeding of the 5,000. By the way, that was men. It's probably the feeding of the 15,000. Because it didn't include women and children. I know what that looks like. Have you ever looked at it, a crowd of 5,000 or 10,000 or 15,000? A lot of people. Now, it makes sense. If it had just been men, of course nobody would have thought to pack a lunch, right? But I think people were just so frantic to see Christ that even with the women and with the children, for some reason nobody had food. Now let me stop at this point. I want to give you a second lesson. Number two, assess difficulty in light of God's resources, not just mine. Did you hear that? As you're facing something difficult, assess it based on the resources of God, not just yours. Simply put, uh, don't depend on your resources. I mean, come on. Philip, like most of us, you know, he tried to solve this problem by his own means. And by the, up to now, he's completely leaving Jesus out of the picture. But don't we do the same thing? You know, we sweat, we toil, we agonize. How are we going to handle this? I had somebody I love with all my heart um, come to me recently, a guy, and really pretty broken. Uh, and he just said, man, my marriage is bad. Just I, I don't know what to do. My marriage is hurting bad. And I, I, I don't know what to do. And so, you know, we had a cool chance to talk. And finally, I just said to him, you know, you know, and we talked about good things, seeing a counselor, reading some books, blah, 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 blah. And finally, I just said to him, dude, are you, are you like on your knees about this? Are you bringing this to the Lord? You know? Like, are you consulting God about this? Uh, turned out he wasn't, which I think is pretty normal for a lot of us. And I said, maybe the thing that your wife needs to see more than anything is that you're the spiritual leader of your home. And that when you guys have a crisis, you go to God first. I said, that, may, that could solve a host of issues right there. Um, pastor, one of my pastors a while ago, he used to always say to us, ask God more than you ask yourself or others. Ask God more. Um, it was so funny. This happened just yesterday. I lost my wallet. 
And uh, I had actually been here for a while, and I, I lost my wallet. Anybody know what it's like to lose your wallet or your purse? It's like, no! And so I'm like freaking out. And I'm, I came back to the church. I thought maybe it was up here. It's not. So I go home, and I came back here. I mean, you can't be without your wallet. Well, I've got Caden in Ellie, my little six- and four-year-old, in the car with me. And, uh, you know, I've been looking all day and come, trying to come up with a solution. And finally I'm like, ooh, I haven't even prayed about this yet. I haven't even talked to God about my wallet. And then I thought to myself, oh no, what if I pray about it with the kids and I don't find the wallet? And then I remembered, oh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to have faith. <laughs> and so I, I'm like, no, I'm just going to pray about this. So I'm like, Caden, we've been looking for two, just felt two, three hours. And finally I'm like, Caden, would you please pray that daddy finds his wallet? He's like, sure. So he prays and I'm like, oh God, come on. True story. I get home and all of a sudden a light bulb goes off in my mind. This is totally true. I get home, light bulb goes off. I'm like, I've been home like 15 times already. Light bulb goes off. Oh my gosh, I wonder if when I was doing all that stuff over here, I actually just threw my wallet in the trash with all that stuff. So I go in there and I open the trash and there's my wallet. <laughs> True. And it's really sad that I threw my wallet away. I know that's stupid. But, you know, Caden's like, yes! <laughs> there is a God! And frankly, if I hadn't have found my wallet, that would have been okay. Sometimes God's answer is different than we hope. But it's at best, right? And that could have been a great moment. Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, how many loaves, verse 38, Evan, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So basically... You know, this kid, this kid, in another account, gives them a happy meal. They've got these two little dried sardine fish, by the way, and probably little pieces of pita bread, to be specific. They have nothing to offer. They live in this small world of limited possibilities, and God sees unlimited possibilities. And so he says, give it to me. Um, you might be hearing the story for the first time. Most of us, we've heard it. We've read about it. Um, at this point, if it's the first time, though, you're like curious, what is he going to do? Right? What is he going to do? What's he thinking? Well, who would have dreamed what Jesus was going to do next? Certainly not the disciples. In fact, it's interesting, in the very next chapter, Jesus feeds another 4,000 people. And guess what the disciples say? Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Isn't it awesome to like read about other knuckleheads? Don't you love it? It's great, isn't it? But we're no different. We're no different. We still see impossibilities when God's wanting us to see possibilities. Uh, You've got to recognize that the situation, and boy, is this appropriate for life, is in God's hands and not ours. 
Can I have an amen? amen. I think of Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite verses. It says, to him who is able to do more than what? We could ask or imagine. Come on. It's so good. So look at 39. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. So Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't offended by the sack lunch. Look what it says. He gave thanks for it. Lesson number three. This is huge. Lesson number three. Be thankful for what you've been given. Be thankful for what you've been given. It's a good example of the principle of dedication in Scripture. It may be small in quantity. It may be even small in quality, what you have. But you transfer what you have to Jesus, and it will be transformed by him. Have you done that yet? Church, have you looked at what you have to offer and said, I'm just going to give it to God? I was going to talk at this point about some, you know, great people of faith like Moses who didn't think he could be a leader and ended up leading a million people through the desert. I was going to talk about Billy Graham, you know, one of the best crusaders, uh, yada, yada, yada. And then I started thinking, you know what, I'm going to talk about people in this church. I'm going to talk to people in this church who aren't on this stage. In fact, you really don't get to see them often, yet they've taken what they have. They've given it to God. They may not even know this, but it is multiplied exponentially. I'm going to start with our children, the people who volunteer right now to take care of our kids downstairs. A lot of times they're not even able to come to church. And some of them, I can guarantee you, are children's volunteers. I've done it before. And you're thinking, you know, am I really making an impact? Are they making an impact? Let me tell you. They offer their gifts. They may even just kind of be a volunteer to the volunteer. There are kids who could make a complete 180 change because of their impact in their life. God multiplies their efforts. I was thinking of every Saturday morning. Did you know that we have some prayer warriors in this church? I'm going to call that the foundation of this place every Saturday morning there's some people uh, Roy's usually there Waldo um, who else if, if you go there often raise your hand I just want to see you every Saturday morning look around Alpha they give what they have They yeah every Saturday morning they are in that room earnestly praying for us as pastors, for you as a church, for our community. And many of you don't even know about that. They give what they have and God multiplies it. Do you think those prayers have an impact, church? Oh, yeah. Just today, I walked by uh, Joanne in the library. Every Sunday, she's so sweet. She's sitting there 
getting all those books organized. You may or may not have noticed that, but I walked by this morning. I looked in there and I looked at all the books and everything's just beautiful and in order. And I thought, does she really realize the impact that this library and the information that has gone out to thousands of people has had because of her faithfulness in keeping it organized? She gives what she has and God multiplies. Amen? Amen. It's all around us. Well, here's Peter. Um, And Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it into the 12 pieces. And he gives it to the disciples. I love that, don't you? I mean, because if I'm a disciple, I'm like, cool. Let's see you rock that lunch, Lord. And instead, Jesus is like, "Uh, here, you hand it out. You're like, no! And can you imagine you're Peter and you get, like, literally, Jesus gives you a couple pieces, you know, a piece of fish and some bread, and you're like, you're like looking at just your first group, and you're like, I am such a moron. This is ridiculous. And so you, 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 you go over to the crowd you know, and you're like, hey, what's up? Time to eat, <laughs> you know. And maybe, you know, maybe you remember the time when, uh, when you were fishing all night and you didn't catch anything. And then Jesus said, hey, toss the nets on the other side of the boat. And you're like, why? Jesus says, because I said so. And so you toss the net over and you pull up more fish than you know what to do with. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking about that, but Peter's probably not. So anyway, you go to the first row, and you tear off some, uh, give this guy some food, give this kid some food, and as you're going down the first row, you realize, well, that's odd. There's just as much as I started with. Hmm. So you go to the second row. You know, you're, you're like on the 25th person. I mean, seriously, imagine this, okay? You got to imagine these stories. This is real stuff. You're going down the row, and you're like, handing it out and it's not going away and you get to the third row now you're kind of getting a stride in your step like what is up with this and you're handing out this food you get to the fifth and the sixth row and then all of a sudden you realize you have a miracle piece of fish in your hand man I mean it's amazing it just won't go away Maybe it brings back images of the Old Testament, like in the story of Moses and the feeding of the people in the wilderness, or the story of Elisha, who also feeding a a hundred men with 20 loaves of barley bread. That's 20 loaves, by the way. Elisha's servant said, nah, you can't feed these people. And he says, give it to the people for this is, this is what the Lord says. They will eat. They'll have some left over. Then he set it before them. They ate and they had some left over. That's in 2 Kings. Then remember the, we remember Moses who fed the people in the wilderness. But it, it, he thought he wasn't supposed to store it, right? Because it would rot. But Jesus says, no, save the leftovers. Because God provides an abundance. 
He not only gives them as much as they can eat, he gives them more than they can eat. Amen, church. We serve a God of abundance. Psalm 23, it says, you prepare a table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 42 says, They ate and were satisfied. Verse 43 And the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. See, Jesus' hands transformed everything he touched. And we just looked at these recently. Pastor Bill went through some of these. A blind man who lived in this, you know, this black vortex. All of a sudden, God touches and all of a sudden color comes to him. And light. A leper's body who was diseased and it was rotting covered with shame. Nobody would even come near him. Jesus touches the untouchable. The man's body is made whole. His relationships are restored. A widow's son died and his death meant excruciating loss. As they're carrying the young man's body on a stretcher, they're taking it to this dark tomb while his soul was taking its place in the realm of the dead. Jesus' hands held him, and he smiled at his mother. Life pulsed through his body. The funeral procession turned into a party. And that's our story today, that Jesus' hands, they take common bread and common fish. He touches it. And it multiplies. And now Jesus had given these 12 disciples this object lesson. About his power, his ability, his care in feeding the crowd. And now he's going to give them an exam. Anybody here love exams? Oh yeah. If you're in school, you're probably in finals right now. Well, Jesus is going to give them an exam. And that's the principle behind teaching, right? There's a saying that Lori and I, I don't know, it's meant a lot to us over the years and certainly for our kids. Have you heard it? A lesson will be repeated until learned. A lesson will be repeated until learned. We tell our kids this like a mantra. A lesson will be repeated until learned. A lesson will be, right? That's that's how teaching works. That's how lessons are. And Jesus says, I've taught you a lesson. I fed the crowd. You've seen what I can do. Now get in the boat. And it's test time. How deep is your faith? Lesson five. Faith is strengthened. This is good, church. Listen to this. Faith is strengthened by remembering God's provision. 
Jesus says, you've seen what I can do. So at some point, we have to recognize that God really does exist, right? And the proof is in his, his involvement in our life. That's a crossroads that we all have to come to. Um, you, you can choose. I just talked to somebody this week, in fact. A friend of theirs just, I mean, they've sat in church forever. They know the Bible. Uh, they've had all the exposure necessary and interaction, intervention with God in their own life. And guess what? They still choose to explain God's reality as science. They just don't believe it. They, they try to explain it scientifically. You can try, you, you know, whatever. You can call it a vice. You can call it a crutch. You can call it a drug trip. You can call faith in Jesus Christ whatever you want. At some point, you just have to say, you know what, doggone it. There's enough proof that God has interacted in my life. I believe. Right? I believe. Some people call things a coincidence. I call them a quince of God. It's a quince of God. Um, and by the way, it doesn't mean as a Christian, you have to check your brain at the door. Right? Like before you come into church and you learn from the word of God, please leave your brain somewhere in the lobby and then when you go back, you can pick your brain back up. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we believe we have enough evidence of God showing up in our life that he's for real. I call it educated faith. By the way, I have this conversation often with people. Like down at Phil's Coffee, for instance. Every now and then I'll have a little spiritual conversation and people are open to talking about stuff like this and I'll just say, I just see enough evidence to believe in Christ. What are you going to do about that? Right? Um, Hebrews eleven six, in fact, says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you hear that? Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Write down, either mentally, by the way, I've done this, huge for me, Either write them down, if you're my wife, who's much more organized and disciplined than I am, write them down in a journal. Write down the times that God has showed up. Or for me, I have like five coat hangers that I grab. And so whenever I'm really dealing with doubt or frustration or is God going to show up, I go back to those times when he did. And it sustains my faith. Does that make sense? Why do you think in the Old Testament when things happen like, when water came out of a rock or when the sea was parted, that they would build monuments because when they were starving, when they're hungry, when they're wondering, is God going to show up? They'd look over and see the monument and go, oh yeah, he is going to show up. Remember when that? Remember that? See, faith is strengthened by remembering God's provision. And finally, the last lesson is that God desires to stretch our faith. Look at that. Now that is one brave mouse. 
that awesome? If you can't see it, it's a mouse with this big old piece of cheese in front of him. The trap is set, so he throws on a helmet. God desires to stretch my faith. God's going to... He is into uh, our character, not our comfort. Right? And so, thereby, he is going to attempt, attempt to stretch our faith. He's going to put us in situations. He's going to put us in storms. Uh, where we're going to have a choice, either to try to do it on our own and sink or rely on God, right? Anybody experience this in their life? Of course. Paul says, uh, give thanks when you endure trials because it produces what? Perseverance, endurance. He's going to put us in situations that require a miracle. Hudson Taylor said this, Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. I'll read it again. Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. If you're feeling a pulling to do something outside of your comfort zone that's going to require God, go for it. Pray about it first. Seek his wisdom and then just know that if you could do it yourselves, you wouldn't have a need for God. He will show up. Jesus says, you do it. You give them something to eat. I want to partner with you in ministry. You can trust me to show up because you have value and purpose in my name. So when Jesus calls us to be faithful... Remember what a mighty God we serve. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and the way it penetrates. It pierces like a double-edged sword, even cutting to the, the bone and the marrow. And we welcome that in our lives this morning. God, give us more faith. May we remember the times that you have shown up. Father, this morning, if there's anybody here who has not come to the knowledge that you are their Savior, God, that they do need you, I just pray this morning, God, that you would let them know that they're Welcome to invite you into their heart this morning. All they have to say is, Father, come into my life. I make you Lord and Savior. I confess my sins. And I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Pray, God, that nobody would leave here today without that knowledge and that comfort. Lord, you're a mighty God and we pray, Lord, as we leave today that we'll just have a more clear glimpse of your greatness. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.
I know sometimes we just truly need that reminder that if God is for us, it doesn't matter what's against us. Amen? Amen. I know that the most exciting times of my life have been when I've stepped out on that ledge and just said, okay, God, you've called me to do this. I have no idea how it's going to happen, but I'm going to step out in faith and I'm just going to go. And when, uh, and he has his way. And whenever I'm in the midst of that miracle, because that's what it is, right? Something that's not impossible with us. It's beyond me. It's beyond what I can do. When I'm in the midst of that miracle, it's a rush, (laughs) but it's because it's God with us in a very intimate way, doing what only he can do. So I hope that encourages you this morning as you go out. What area of your life do you need to experience God in a way that is beyond what you can do? And I want to invite our prayer counselors forward because you may need someone to be praying with you about that this morning, about whatever is going on in your life, a struggle. I'd like to invite our prayer counselors forward now. And they'd love to meet with you right up here, right after the service is over and, um, and support you in prayer. If you'd like to know a little bit more about uh, what's going on here at Bethel, how God is working here and how you might partner with us in that. uh, We have some couches in the back. It's called the living room. And 10, 15 minutes, uh, people will help you kind of get informed of what's going on here at Bethel and how you can get involved. And uh, right after service is over, who likes to eat? Anyone? Yes. We have an awesome cafe this morning or this afternoon and all the proceeds go um, to support the work we do in missions and so it's a win-win eat get full eat great food and support uh, missions so make sure you join us for that and uh, then if you're bored tonight come out for our evening service pull someone with you who hasn't been to church yet have a great week experience god doing what only he can do and uh, we'll see you next week or tonight